New Zealand Tech Podcast, the voice of the tech community, proudly supported by Umbrella Connect. Cool. So welcome to the podcast today. And we're just going to go around the room and introduce who we are maybe to start with. So my name is Darcy Angaro. I'm with the NZ Everyday Investor Podcast and Paul Spain. Paul Spain, the host of New Zealand Tech Podcast and Chief Executive at Guerrilla Technology. Cool. Uh, Adam Dodds, Managing Director of Techament. Cool. And Paul Quickenden, Chief Revenue Officer of Techami. Nice. All right. And so today we're going to be talking about stable coins. What the heck are they? What are they used for? All that sort of fun stuff. But before we go there, a little bit of a baseline understanding for those who are just kind of new to this whole crypto sphere space. What is cryptocurrency, right? So I'll give a real simple explanation, and then I'm going to ask one of you guys a question as to what a stablecoin is. So for the benefit of those who are just kind of getting up to speed here, cryptocurrency, digital money for the digital world. Nothing new. We've kind of been act- acting with uh, or using digital money for a long time just with how we use money these days. But increasingly, there are new digital rails being built for a digital world, which is being developed. And that creates with it all sorts of new words, all sorts of new concepts and things like stable coins, which is what we're going to be talking about today. So perhaps, Adam, if you could start just by maybe defining or actually, Paul, I can't remember who we decided. Yeah, Adam, what is a stable coin? Uh, so a stable coin is effectively a digital cryptocurrency that is ultimately pegged to a fiat or a, uh, a currency of some nationality. So you can have uh, stable coins for US dollar, Australian dollar, Euro, New Zealand dollar. So and that's what we do. We have a NZDS, which is a New Zealand dollar stable coin. What happens is you know that in a trust-based position, if you represent a two dollar NZDS you know that it's worth $2. Uh, And what we're trying to do is effectively create a greater efficiency in the way in which value is exchanged um, in this type of new world we're heading towards. Okay. So it kind of creates a bit of a bridge between this new digital world, which is a little bit scary, all these new tokens and cryptocurrencies. But hey, this is familiar. It's Mm -hmm. New Zealand dollar. I I get it. And, And it truly is backed by so one foot in the digital realm, one foot in the analog realm. They talk to each other. So all the comfort and trust that you have in the New Zealand dollar, you can see it in the digital realm. Yeah, absolutely. So when you look at most stable coins that have some sort of validity uh, globally, they're the ones that say that they're 100% collateralized, which means sitting in a bank somewhere, there's a dollar representative of this minted New Zealand dollar stable coin. Okay. Uh, once you've got that level of trust, then you know the way in which people exchange has been something we've been doing for you know, hundreds and hundreds of years. Yeah, okay. I'm I'm interested in this this idea of you know it being as um, you know that you could trust it as much as you can trust the the traditional currency because we sort of often hear about things that you know yeah this is sort of you know super trustworthy and so on and then you know then something happens what are the mechanisms that you know that you put in place so that you know people would have confidence in the NZTS stablecoin. And what sort of you know, regulatory approval do you, have you had to go through? What have you had to, you know, prove locally to, um, you know, to be able to do this? Okay. Well, it's been about a seven to eight month journey to get ourselves to where we're at today. Uh, the first thing to do is sit down with your lawyers and sit down with your professional services providers and go into the detail of how you could actually architecture this relative to jurisdictional requirements. 
once you have that, you get given an opinion and you get given a bunch of terms and conditions that are compliant with New Zealand law. Um, New Zealand's actually really good from a cryptocurrency perspective. We're reasonably clean on what you can and can't do and what's security and what's not a security. Once you do that, you then start moving into the technology that underpins it. And you start looking for, well, how do you make sure that it's audited well, such that when people see that something is minted, it can be well controlled throughout the entire process of minting through to redemption. After that, you start moving into the bits that probably cost a bit of money, and that is getting external independent advice that you're actually operating in the right way. So we behave well. We have our own treasury policies. We engage with one of the big four in terms of prof services providers. And they look at our books. They make sure for every dollar, there's a dollar. Uh, and might sort of sound, I mean, I make it sound easy, but the reality of it is everybody has to play ball. You look at everybody inside the company, you look at the roles and responsibilities that they have, you look at the behaviours and the way in which you communicate, and if you can tick all of those boxes, then ultimately you reach a level of trust. Okay. We're added to from a value point of view because New Zealand dollar globally in the top 10 traded currencies is trusted. So we halo a bit into that as well. How does it work then? So talk me through how the connection between, you were mentioning that phrase, minting a, a stable, an NZDS. Mm-hmm. So when that gets minted and there's something that's backing it one-to-one, how did, can you explain to me that process mechanically? Like how did, what's actually happening behind the well, scenes? Let, let's pretend I'm a customer. And so Adam's business deals with people who are wholesale accredited investors, so people who you know are a little bit more wealthy than uh, your retail investors. So I turn up and I say, hey, Adam, I've got uh, a chunk of cash that I want to digitise, $100,000 or something like that. <clears throat> Adam then goes through a journey of making sure that um, all of the same sort of things that your bank has to do around know your customer and where has the money come from and you know it's not being laundered and all that sort of stuff. All of those checks have to happen on me. Yeah. I provide my passport and proof of address and proof of wealth. And once that's happened, then I deposit my fiat currency, my New Zealand dollars, into Adam's bank account. And then sitting behind that um, is a function where um, we, we have this thing called a multi-sig wallet. So multiple parties have to sign, like put in their private keys to sign the transaction. And that would enable the re- release of 100,000 New Zealand dollar stable coins. Right. Then that gets issued to me and put into my wallet. Right. And that's kind of the process from there. Where does that $100,000 go? Like, where do you put that money, Adam? Okay, so the, uh, and this is the financial model for Tickament. We receive that money. Uh, we put that money into cash and cash equivalent investments. So think uh, long-term deposits or government bonds, um, noting that we need to make sure that the cash is available if people want to redeem. And the returns that happen as a result of that being sort of um, put aside uh, goes into the way in which we run the business. Right. So, you know, interest rates are relatively low at the moment. So effectively, we need lots and lots and lots of money to really sort of kick things over. Um, But it makes it a clean proposition. We are effectively holding money on trust. We're not holding it to give returns. um, And therefore, it means that we have access to the pool of benefit. Got it. Okay. And then these digital tokens that yep. get issued, how does that work? Like, how, what, what is it built on? Ethereum network, presumably? Or? Yeah, so um, when we were doing the design work, then that seven to eight months, we looked at who had uh, successfully launched stable coins that hadn't been hacked and all that sort of stuff, because you know, some of them, as you say, and there's been some failures out there. Um, <clears throat> we chose a, a very prominent 
um, piece of code from a consortium that has successfully launched the, the number two base US stablecoin called USDC. Okay. Um, that is, comes from the Circle Consortium, and um, they have uh, effectively open sourced that code because they want more adoption of that code, and so we use that, and then it goes through, when, even when we built it, it gets audited by professional um, cryptographers to look for any issues. Bugs. Bugs, effectively. Um, it is built on the Ethereum network. Uh, we have we have discussions going on with various parties around um, spanning other networks who are yeah. quite interested in launching stablecoins on other platforms or protocols or whatever language you want to wrap around that. Yeah. Um, and uh, so it's it's an Ethereum coin, so I can yeah. put it in my Ethereum wallet and move it around on okay. the Ethereum network. Yeah, because that was my next question: is that you've given them hundred grand, you've, you've minted hundred thousand dollars worth of NZDS, mm-hmm. and then you now are in receipt of this in, in a wallet of some sort on the it, bank. Yeah, you are your own bank. Yep, I which am. is pretty interesting. Yeah, that's phenomenally that, interesting, actually. Yeah, but this is basically just going to show up in your wallet, but not all wallets or all wallets. Uh, any any wallet that supports Ethereum. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, and, and there's, uh, oh man, there's a gazillion. There's a lot, so quite a few in, of those. In my Exodus wallet, for example. Uh, I don't know about Exodus. Right. Um, I don't know if they support Ethereum, I'll be honest. Um, but, you know, you can do online stuff like MetaMask. You yeah. can use the hardware wallet, which is would I would recommend. Yeah. Uh, so which would be grand. Yeah, 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 a Trezor yeah. Or, or a Ledger, Ledger or something yeah. along those. And those have got interfaces into the Ethereum network or okay. can support it. That sort of stuff. Yeah. That's cool. Now, I think the thing that people will be interested in is, you know, what what's in it for me? What's what's the benefit? And certainly for you know anyone that has to you know pay bills across borders, one currency to another, and uh, you know those, those types of uh, scenarios, or even if I mean I, I think of even travelling. Not that we do much of that these days. <laughs> um, you know, you, uh, with cash, the amount of hit that you take, and I remember, you know, especially if you're on some sort of big you know globe trotting journey, you know, every time you sort of change your money one uh, one currency to another, you sort of wonder, wow, you know, this started as this much money. I've only spent that much, but I've got a whole lot, whole lot less. How do uh, do you see really the role of the stablecoin and cryptocurrency sort of you know changing how we transact um, internationally? Where does that? How does that sort of you know fit fit together? And what you know what are the, what do you see as really the the big uh, and interesting use cases? So we go through personas is probably the the key way to start this. Uh, I'm somebody in a country that's currently got a lot of volatility. I'm being paid in my you know, local currency, but I know that when I go to work on Monday, it's worth potentially 75% of what it's worth today. Uh, we find that people are really interested in potentially um, having a piece of New Zealand dollar uh, because we're a very stable currency, we're a commodity-backed, a bunch of other things. Uh, so people will naturally try and figure out how it is that they can hold that being their own bank. So that's number one. Number two is um, the efficiency and the way in which you can pass value. Um, You you talked about travel before, but there are still a whole bunch of people who are sitting out there in the UK. Some of them have actually needed a bit of help. You know, the ability to take some NZDS, send it over the chain to the, the kids who are in London, and they have it instantly, and they'll be able to exchange it over there without actually the issues of potentially a two to three day turnaround time. Uh, when it comes to traditional currency. On top of that, um, you have the persona of people who are crypto enthusiasts. Now, 
the market's a bit volatile. It goes up, goes down. Uh, people want to get out of the market from time to time. And when they want to get out of the market, they don't necessarily want to come back to fiat. They'd rather stay in something that they know, enjoy, and trust, i.e. they are happy being their own bank. So they'll sell down their Bitcoin or their Ethereum, and they'll just keep NZDS in their wallet. Um, then you have remittances, you know, where businesses can potentially pay for things um, and resolve them either within the country or across borders. And then you go into another layer, which is within the country itself, um, people are really interested in passing value to each other, be it at events or tickets or what have you. Um, and you can sort of see there's levels of, of efficiency using a digital stablecoin to do that because people aren't carrying around wads of cash. They're not necessarily carrying around credit cards. Uh, they're able to do it via their wallet, you know, via their phone. Um, so it's a, it's a really interesting place to be. And if I may, just for a little bit more, it's not our job to really tell the market how to use this. Mm. What our job is to, is to provide an underlying trust proposition and then let people become creative from there. Yeah, and I think that that's always one of the exciting things with new technologies is what actually people come up with. And yeah, I remember you know having seen this watching you know in New Zealand where uh, you know, government made an incredible investment into the future of our broadband with with fibre around the country. And in those early days, people asking the questions, oh, what are we going to you know what are we going to use this for? People are asking the same questions around five G, um, and you know I think similar sorts of things. Around around crypto um, is the whole picture is not entirely clear, um, but it does seem very much which we're moving in this particular direction as a world that is very much digital, very much around uh, technology and things that were the norm, you know, uh, even the norm today won't necessarily be uh, the norm when we look sort of you know five ten years out, and sometimes they move very quickly too, right? That's what I think is so so fascinating about this space is that. We we're touching new tools. You guys are creating some of them, but we don't really know exactly all that they're going to do. Which which kind of creates the, or it's the prerequisite prerequisite required to foster innovation, right? Like if you're building with new tools, you start to discover. Oh, I didn't realize it did this thing. Um, but going back to what you were saying before, Adam, in terms of some of the use cases, I'm thinking in terms of people who are maybe managing their own portfolio of crypto assets and they are trying to keep some sort of ratio in terms of what what they're holding in a very volatile up and down market instead of exiting a certain if they wanted to keep 20% in cash for example um, for rebalancing or whatever they it's a little bit of a frictional frictional I don't know if that's the right word there's a lot of friction involved in getting that out there's a lot of fees involved getting that out back out into your fiat currency it takes time so what you're saying, though, is that you could just have your NZDS as one of the cryptocurrencies that you would trade into mm-hmm. in, in those situations. Is that right? Yep, absolutely. And there are examples throughout New Zealand at the moment where people are not exiting crypto, i.e. they're keeping NZDS or BTC or ETH, and they're taking loans against that. Mm. to be able to operate in the traditional fiat world. Talk me through that. Uh, well, it's, <laughs> it's people who are long on cryptocurrencies. They believe they've got you know, a lot further to go. Um, they understand that there's some financial structures in place for people to be able to obtain those loans. And you know they have to do it, obviously, with full knowledge of risk. Yeah. Um, but equally, they recognize that their interaction with the fiat world is quite small. You know, so therefore they don't need to be shifting big monies uh, around or they don't actually need to have lots of money sitting in a bank account 
because ultimately money sitting in a bank account at the moment is quite inefficient and could be even more inefficient if we head to negative interest rates. Yeah. So I've have I have ten thousand dollars worth of Bitcoin, for example. I borrow say fifty percent against that in NZDS. I convert that to fiat if I wanted to to buy a car, or I take that NZDS and I could then do other fancy stuff mm-hmm. with other cryptocurrencies, right? Correct. Yeah. And and so that that other fancy stuff is kind of under this umbrella term called DeFi, de- right. decentralized finance. Yeah. And uh, someone someone in traditional finance will look at that and see some parallels, like there's lending and there's you know. Lending insurance. Insurance and all yeah. sorts of stuff. Um, but it's just being done uh, in a crypto yeah. flavor yeah. Uh, using smart contracts and that sort of stuff. And yeah. so, you know, the the option the option is there for people to park a stable coin in something like, I don't know, Curve or Wi-Fi or Enzon.finance, which is a kind of a... A lending institution and Celsius and someone I found mon- yeah Celsius yeah. Uh, a fund manager or you know a smart contract and in, in Celsius's um, case will execute and you get a return on whatever you parked and you know yeah. the returns currently in DeFi are you know miles ahead of what people are seeing in the yeah. traditional finance world yeah. uh, and so you know to Adam's example why would I park it in a bank you know even even if I wanted stability. I can get a much greater return. This is I'm, I'm talking about a, a, a persona that's a crypto native, and they yeah. go, "I'll just do that. I'll just right. park it there and, and get much right. much greater returns." Because an example of this could be um, just from my limited experience with with this myself. Let's say I bought some Tether, which mm-hmm. is effectively a stable coin, yep. but yep. it's backed by US dollars. Yep. And I could put it on one of these lending platforms like Celsius, mm-hmm. and now I'm getting a rate of return. Yep. Off that like a traditional bank account used to be. But I, f- I could almost, in some cases, engage in a form of arbitrage where I'm borrowing at a really low rate, secured against my mortgage, plonk it into this, and you're actually getting a better rate of return. Not financial advice. Don't yeah, do this, people. Couldn't, couldn't but, get a comment, but we, yeah. do, we think some people are doing that. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, that, that does create, let's be candid, you know, it does create some sort of systemic risk because you are leveraging up to do that. And, um, but we do know of people that are yeah. seeing that, you know, interest rates are at, what are they, 25 to 3% in New Zealand. Yeah. They're seeing 8% returns per month in some pl- DeFi platforms. And is that sustainable? Probably not. Probably not. <laughs> um, but, but it becomes... Is that safe? Mm. <laughs> yeah, so it becomes it becomes uh, where your risk profile is, and so you know the people that we know, and we know a lot of people in crypto. They even they won't put one hundred percent of their wealth into a DeFi, a single DeFi platform. They right. wouldn't do that. Right. Uh, you know, you know, we we talk about you know if if everyone put one percent of their wealth into crypto, that would be great, and then you would put you know ten, fifteen, whatever your risk appetite number is into. A DeFi thing, correct, and get a return off of that, correct. You know that would it's be like diversification on every single layer that you could correct. imagine, right? Correct. Yeah, uh, and the reason for that, uh, you know, it could be what a number of reasons why you 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 wouldn't want to put all your eggs in one basket. You know, you, a flood in now in the in the traditional finance world takes away your house. Yeah. Um, whereas you know a, a flood in crypto might be a, a flash loan or a hack or, or whatever it sure. is, and so you know those risks are there. Okay. Okay. How, how does the peg work, right? Because I'm, I'm thinking traditionally, like even just with the U.S. dollar in the early 70s where it was the peg between the U.S. dollar and gold was broken. Mm-hmm. Um, what are some of the dynamics at play when crypto markets kind of go – inevitably go up and go down? Are there risks where 
that peg could be broken because of a flood of new fiat currency coming in or going out? Like, how durable is the is the connection between the digital and the analog here? Yeah, so, um, great question. Reasonably durable, I'll say. Um, what we've done is we stabilised the peg on a um, an exchange called Dasset, which is a New Zealand-based exchange. Uh, on there, we put up buy walls and sell walls, and the buy walls are an example that if at some stage or another the price goes to 99 or 98 or 97 cents uh, in order to buy one NZD, then we'll be buying that all day long. Um, then if it goes to $1.02, we'll be selling as much as we possibly can. Um, and what that does is it creates a nice little pressure about $1.00. Um, when you look at the history of stable coins, for the first six months you see a bunch of volatility. And that's always while people are getting a good handle on their processes, they're getting a good handle on, I suppose, how the market is growing. Um, so we are into probably month three. Uh, we're not going pervasively everywhere. We're keeping it nice and static in terms of a single place. Um, and once you can sort of see that trust and you build up those walls and you have sufficient money on either side, you can actually deal with people coming in or wanting to get out as quickly as we can. So the market's got to grow for yep. the volatility to kind of chill out a little bit and you yeah, guys absolutely. just kind of slowly scaling in. It's a yep. liquidity thing yeah, on yeah. both sides. Yep. Yeah. The buy and the sell, right? The more, the more demand on each side, the more even it will be. Right. Yeah. Effectively, how that works. Yeah. It's a fascinating uh, parallel as well between, because you are your own bank. As, as a holder of NZDS, you're, you're your own bank. But then I guess you guys are acting kind of like a central bank, aren't you? Is, it, is that a fair To analogy? a certain degree. We're acting, we're acting, more, um, <laughs> we're, we're acting more like a trust, yeah. really. Um, and uh, there are parties that are looking to take on banking licenses to move into this space. Okay. Um, but from our perspective, really, we're just a, a functional engineering business that has sure. a risk profile that's quite contained. We mint it. Yeah. We keep it about a dollar. The, where the exciting stuff starts to happen is when we start to create pairs of New Zealand dollar stablecoin with uh, USDC, which was another USD stablecoin, with Ethereum and with Bitcoin. When we start doing that sort of thing, we can actually run a parallel world. So if you consider today there are pairs of NZD to BTC, ETH and to USDC, yeah. so there's an NZDS side to it. Yeah. And when you find that there's small anomalies between them, the old world to new world or yeah. semi-old world to new world, yeah. uh, you can take what's called arbitrage opportunities and you leverage technology to go and buy and sell at a very rapid rate and you make a return on the transaction as a result of the delta. And so you, you'd have your, your NZ, NZD, yep. USD, and then you'd have like a NZDS. Yep. USDC, for yep. example, and then you'd have NZDS and a BTC, et cetera, et cetera. But if there's if there's differences amongst those, you can be, basically be instantaneously buying and selling and, and clipping the ticket on the way. Absolutely. So there's a differential in those yep. markets. Great. So that arbitrage acts as a stabilizer in that entire system as well, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And, and right. it, it's fascinating because you watch people who um, start off with maybe $20,000 maintaining a pair somewhere on some sort of exchange doesn't have to be a big one and they're into it and they're doing it and they're behaving really well they're behaving as would you know a normal forex services provider yeah. so it's you, you don't have to be the biggest yeah. um, you do have to have a certain size um, but there's opportunities out there and when I look at it at the moment there is a generational element to this where they have no fear of taking on these exercises because of what tools can do these days correct interesting what are you, what are you picking from the banks? How they, um, you know, how switched on are they with with where these things are moving? 
Wow. I'm, I'll, I'll go first. Um, I think the banks are pretty switched on. Um, the challenge they've got is much the same they've always had as we move towards you know, digital worlds, and that is what is the role that they're going to play. Um, you know, there's room in crypto for custody if you do it well. There's room in crypto for you know, things like DeFi uh, type propositions. There's ways to use things like Ripple for the way in which they might displace some of the Swift proposition. Um, so I, I think that they're thinking about it. I think what they've got to do, though, is try and eke out as much value as they possibly can under their traditional model. And so what you see is uh, conflicting messaging. You know, hey, we're pro-Bitcoin, we've bought heaps, versus it's a scam and it's a volatile asset and a bunch of things. So really, we've got at least five years' worth of them really laying down where they think their big bets are. Um, but the banks that have shifted slash are shifting are, um, are, are there and they're doing very well. Interesting. Because uh, we you don't hear a lot of messaging from these incumbent players, regardless of how big or small they are. You don't hear a lot of it, but behind the scenes, you'd like to think that they're very busy doing something. But the assumption is because you don't hear anything, it feels almost like they're just trying to milk every last little cent they can from the existing you know, set, of, set, of, set of status quo, right? Mm-hmm. But that's not necessarily the case, am I right? Like they're actually. So, I mean, there, there's numerous examples. Some of them really close in our region, where they're, these banks are leveraging blockchains, which is you know is, is the technology without the currency because it has some some immense values around immutability and you know ease of transfer and bypasses SWIFT and all sorts of stuff. So they're already doing that sort of stuff. If you spoke to you know our regional banks. And ask them about Bitcoin, they'd probably be less welcoming, I guess, around that sort of stuff. Um, you know, I'm I got into this space because I really like disruption. You know, Clayton Christensen is a personal hero of mine, and you know, sadly he's gone now. And and I look at these banks who are tuning out, you know, what was it, ANZ nearly nearly a billion in six months, mm-hmm. and they are classically in in that in that period where they are caught. They cannot stop doing what they're doing. Their shareholders are going to demand another billion next quarter. Uh, next next half, um, and so what next? And so you know they're gonna they're gonna classically be caught out in in, in the innovators' trap, right? Mm. A low cost platform that they look at and go, oh, it's not good enough, which is kind of Bitcoin or Ethereum, will overtake them eventually. Whether it's mm. those or the next iteration, that's just how disruption happens. So it's like like a Kodak sort of moment, right? Correct. That's, and yeah. and um, you know not just them. Like there is uh, a lot of you know you mentioned central banks, but there is. 15, 20 papers out there now from central banks looking at uh, digital currencies in some way, shape or form and and um, China looks like it might be the most aggressive um, and I use that in all facets of the world um, uh, 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 in doing that um, and then you know once they go then what happens you know you then you kind of end up in this big delta and so it's like a market everyone will have to catch up in some way shape or form mm. and so um, you know in our to our world view you know something digital from a central bank will come eventually correct yeah. within that five to ten year window the issue that the central banks have is you know unlike us you know central banks have to deal with everyone in the country yeah. people who who want to keep paying cash and 
you know, or don't even have an FPOS card. That's their customer base as well as fully digital natives. Yeah. And so that is a, a big challenge for them. And, and look, I don't know how they're going to solve that. Yeah. Um, you know, with cell phone penetration and all that sort of stuff, it's, it's going to happen. But then, again, it'll be a generational change. It will be a generational change. It yeah. has to be because it's not like using Facebook. It's, you know, it's sending wealth. Um, so, yeah. Um, it's but, one of those frontiers, though, that's, that's yet to be flattened or demolished or disrupted fully. You yeah. know, we've seen it in the media, I guess, right, with social media and stuff like that, like the digitization and the democratization of that. But yep. when you democratize the access to wealth in a peer-to-peer way, like what's coming, like my personal belief is that I think it's possibly going to happen a lot faster and it, it'll be the masses that are going to drive it. And I don't think, I don't think the status quo realizes what's coming down the pike in terms of what's going to flatten them. Um, I hope that's wrong because that, that completely destroys my revenue model as well. <laughs> but that kind of feels like there's so much momentum building here. It's got nothing to do with the price, but everything to do with adoption and the, and the pace of adoption. Yeah. Am I being too extreme with that? Do you think, or is that? No, I don't think so. Um, you know, Paul and I have been around you know, technology for a very long time. Yeah. We've watched the Kodak moment be brought up that many times that it's ridiculous. The the challenge that banks have are the obvious ones. You know. They can pull the reins, slow everything down, but then ultimately they get passed. Great. And they'll get passed. They're already being passed when it comes to mobile payments. When you look at what WeChat's happening, uh, doing, and its efficiency. It's absolutely incredible. Yeah. Then go a step further and look at you know the likes of Western Union where they're trying to step up their game and become a better way of transferring money within their own applications. You know The way in which Visa, MasterCard are now accepting crypto for payment or stablecoins for payment. So, you know, there's, there's a real wake-up moment coming. And, you know, when you look at the returns of what the banks have got, see at a billion or whatever it's going to be, um, you know, they, there is potentially an opportunity for them to make more if they can recognise that somebody's wealth includes digital assets. And if you do that, then you start to be a part of the conversation. And if you're not a part of the conversation, then people will find a different faci- facility. Yeah. If I can borrow out of Japan, who wouldn't? Negative interest rates, you know, and if you can do that using crypto, even better. So there's all sorts of weird questions that need to be answered. Yeah. And yeah. there's at least a couple of hundred thousand, we think, New Zealanders who are yep. who are on the crypto spectrum. We'll use that term, right? So yeah. they Yeah, you make it sound like a disorder. I mean there's there's people again, there's people who are might you know, you talk to them and, and hope they don't, but they hold dodge or or, or whatever it is, right? <laughs> they'll hold they'll hold something yeah. and then there's people who are actively just living and dreaming crypto and trading and moving it around and you know I've heard you on speak you know you I know you own or have bought some crypto in the past or, you know, I know nothing about what you're talking about yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> now the IRD knows that as well. yeah, yeah. so 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 you know there there's already a, for the record I lost all mine oh, perfect, <laughs> perfect. Um, so really sorry to hear that we, we, we were talking <laughs> last week about becoming your own bank and uh, this Darcy and I and yeah a few side discussions around the security of, right, once you're your own bank. Sure. So there are some discussions that we had there. Yep. And that, that's actually, I see, is, is that's a potential role for for traditional banks. Yeah. So you don't, you know, um, you don't have everything necessarily sitting on this, you know, this physical thing. And maybe, you know, some of the okay. some of the smarts that they've built up over a very long period of time yep. um, yeah, actually can be applied. But, I mean, just imagine today if you were with a bank that didn't have a mobile app, and a website like 
you know, you'd, you'd be gone somewhere else. Yeah. And, you know, surely this is coming with crypto. It's like, you know, which is going to be the first, you know, bank in New Zealand. Uh, that's all in. And if we've already got, you know, a um, couple of hundred thousand, you know, of a population uh, that are in this space, where are they going to be? You know, where are they going to be moving um, if a bank puts up their hands and says we're going to we're going to treat those that are using crypto as first class citizens and they you know they they, right. they they start serving that that audience. Fortune yeah. favors the brave it's, if they're up that, there. That's yeah. that's a, that's that's an opportunity. Yeah. Um, and you know, we we saw you know so many. I mean, I, I would look at the uh, the taxi firms and and Uber and think. Yeah, they could have seen this coming. You know, they could have seen what was coming for quite a long time before, say, Uber launched, and even say the New Zealand market. Um, they could have worked out some way to actually, you know, play. But um, you know, mostly they sort of they've waited so long uh, that the opportunity is a whole lot different. So, well, it's, uh, it's an awesome example, right? So, in my opinion, you know, the taxi companies it didn't matter if it was London or New York or New Zealand. You know, they tried to fight the rise of technology with legislation. Yeah. You know, uh, and you know the people I know in the banking sector, and I know quite a few of them. And hey, guys. Um, you know, they're largely dependent on their incumbency around, you know, it's, you have to be regulated and, you know, but we would say, why? You know, we're on, on my own bank at the moment. So, you know, there's, there's, there is this uh, wake-up call coming, you know, so, um, and again, you know, that it doesn't go, it comes with its own risks, as you say, um, and, you know, have Make sure you've got good obsec with your crypto and all that sort of stuff. But would would I pay a small amount to someone to manage or take that risk away? If I had enough crypto wealth, absolutely. Yeah. There's going to be some people, and there's probably people on this podcast now who are going, "Hell no!" You know, you know, over my dead body, where they're going to get, you know, are you going to KYC me and all that sort of stuff? And it's always part of the crypto ecosystem. But I think for it to grow up and be um, more mainstream, then more mainstream practices and security need to come with it, I guess is my take on that. Yeah, so just to extend on that, um, you have an intersect between digital value and digital identity. Mm. And if you can intersect digital value, digital identity, and you've got some level of portability when it comes to your bank account details, you know, the banks have just got to speed up what they do. Mm. And if they can speed up what they do, game on. Yeah. Um, and that's the bit that you just don't see at the moment. Yeah, they they have a role to play. Yeah, that might be changing. Yeah, I mean, we used to work in the telecommunications sector, and when number portability came along, it was the end of the world. You know, because you know, O two seven was a Spark thing, and O two one was a Vodafone thing, and that was how they kind of locked you into those networks because your number was your identity. Yeah. Banks had been saying the same thing, and I just can't get my head around it. Telco didn't collapse. Yeah. Why can't I port my bank number? Because you try and leave a bank and take all your APs and all your – it's quite a – there's a big barrier to that. Um, and so, you know, yeah. it's the same sort of thing. Fun times. So just to bring this in for a landing, I want to um, just clarify something that we kind of started with. You, you talked about at the beginning at the moment. It's really you – know, it's, it's available. The NZDS is available to wholesale accredited investors only, $100,000 minimum yep. buy-in. Got it right. But then on Dasset, is it possible for somebody to just jump onto Dasset? Yeah. 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 So um, there's a reason we do the 100K limit. It is largely because we're – 
pervasive lead trying to get it onto more chains and more constituents, so more exchanges globally. Uh, when you look at DASIT, DASIT is a great access tool to the retail market. I mean, you look at what people are buying. People are buying like sort of 500 bucks worth of NZDS. They're buying 2,800, and they're just sort of experimenting with you know what they could do with it yeah. over time. Now, we will, what we'll say is really over the next six months you'll see that fill out quite considerably yeah. um, and um, people just need to get a handle on what it is and right. why it is. And what the use case is because we're not Absolutely. speculating on the NZDS going to the moon. No. It's not that. It's, it's the use case is how it fits <laughs> if it, in. If it's worth 10% more tomorrow, yeah, we, yeah, we have probably. failed. Right? Yeah, <laughs> we've done our job. Yeah. yeah. No, that's awesome. So if people want to follow you guys and learn a little bit more, mm-hmm. what kind of – Things can you throw at me in terms of you know Twitter handles, LinkedIn? What, what, what can you give me? Yeah, yeah. So at the moment, there's there's a bunch of avenues. The first one I'd sort of say is in New Zealand, um, we actually have a global um, uh, website called Brave New Coin, yeah. where most of the advocacy is uh, global. But nonetheless, it's actually a really good place to go and be educated. Yeah. Um, check out the local pride of providers. You know, you got Dacidex, you got Easy Crypto. Yeah. Get into what they're doing and see how it works and when it comes to things like NZDS so we have a website where all of the information is held you can see the white paper you can go through and even look at our portal cool. you don't have to spend 100k to get into the portal and have a look around yeah. um, but if you that's if at, you have any it's at techament.com oh, at techament.com yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely and, and T-E-C-H-Y oh, T-E-C-H-E M U M Y N T. Just go to the show notes for this episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and, and equally, we're pretty active when it comes to questions. Sure. So there's a contact us, um, get in there. Yeah. Uh, we'll look at more social as we go down the path. But really, from our perspective, uh, we want to make sure that um, Brazil, Turkey, uh, Algeria, they all you know, can see what this thing is yeah. and go, wow, I wish we had that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so NZDS is, is a global gift, yeah, not just a New Zealand gift. That's awesome. And thanks for the gift. Oh, That's cool. You're welcome. All right, guys. So um, in terms of you know, th- these discussions, um, certainly Darcy and I are going to be you know, continuing to, to talk about this, the, this stuff. Um, you know, it is very much where the world is, is, is heading. Um, so you know, for, for listeners, definitely be uh, checking out New Zealand Everyday Investor Podcast if, if you're not already. Uh, New Zealand Tech Podcast, we we'll talk about some of these, some of these topics too, um, but more broadly around you know, the way technology has, has changed the world. The way we need to move as a as a country to succeed in that world, uh, but absolutely fantastic to uh, to have the discussion. That's great. Right. Thanks, guys. Much appreciated for yeah. getting us on. No worries. If you want to talk more about our our world, our crypto sphere, then uh, we'd love to come back. Cool. Thank you. Awesome, guys. Thank you very much. All right. Thanks very much. Right. New Zealand Tech Podcast, the voice of the tech community, proudly supported by Umbrella Connect.